Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. It's Josh Rutledge, your co-host for Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to support us more, please head over to our website, fearscapepodcast.com. There you can click on store and browse some really awesome t-shirts and maybe pick a couple up or even go to our Patreon page and see how you can support us monthly. We love bringing you awesome content just as much as you like listening to it. Enjoy the show. Hello. I'm so glad you could join us. I hope you brought your blanket to hide under. The spooky crew is going to discuss things and events from other realms. Ghosts. Cryptids. Aliens. Be sure to hold your blanket extra tight as the boys take you deep. Into the fear scale, fear scale, fear scale. <laughs> Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another enlightening episode of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. I am your host, Stefan Gearhart, and I am here to share with you the secrets of the universe. And I couldn't do that without my host, Josh Rutledge, who, in my opinion, is the most respected frogman of all of of, of Loveland, Ohio. Uh, <laughs> you are the most respected. Of all of the frogmen. Of all the frogmen. <clears throat> just so we're clear, just because I don't know if any military people are listening, I am not a Navy SEAL. No, I mean a legit man like, that's like a frog. Frog, yeah. Yeah. Like, like I eat flies? Is that yeah, what you don't snore when you sleep, you croak. Or and croak. I don't mean you die. <laughs> <laughs> what if you died every night and re- reborn every morning? I mean, there are people that believe that. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyways, uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we've got a great episode. Obviously, last week uh, we had part one of the incredibly enlightening interview with the uh, esteemed... Uh, and venerable Alan Greenfield, the uh, author of The Complete Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts, uh, incredible ufologist, friends with John Keel and Gary Barker, or excuse me, Gray, Gray Barker, Barker, and all those guys from uh, Point Pleasant and all that, uh, as well as, you know, master of the occult. Uh, and uh, you may have seen him on an episode of the docuseries Hellier, Um, but we got a chance to talk to him, and we had so much goodness that we decided not to edit it, (laughs) and so we decided to do two parts. Um, So today you'll get to hear part two of all that. That's where we just dig deeper into questions about, you know, UTs and ETs and all of that jazz, and just get his theories and opinions on all sorts of stuff. Um, But before we get to that, I mean, hey, let's rock and roll and dig right into our first segment, which is the psychic word of the week. 
And now, the psychic world of the And as usual, I have the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary from June Bletzer. Rest in peace, my honey baby. And uh, we have flipped through, as usual, flipped forward and backward until we kind of felt, all right, now's a good time to stop. We actually landed on page 10, so we're not usually in the A's very often, so this is pretty awesome, Um, which is funny. Uh, So the word that I find is, Agartha. But what I laughed at is that over here on the other side, the second word that grabbed my eye was I was, which is Alistair Crawley's right. uh, buddy, which, you know, since, you know, we're talking to Alan Greenfield, it's all synchronicities to me. Right. And um, if we're in a mirror universe, maybe you're supposed to read I was. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but the reason I find it very interesting is because, again, the, the word that we grabbed on, and it is actually just one word two weeks in a row, um, kind of fits. We just finished up uh, recording a uh, Fearscape Unhinged episode where we talked about uh, the civilizations, uh, ancient civilizations and origins of humans and stuff like that. Wait till you hear the word. So the word is Agartha, and that's A-G-H- a-R-T-A, and it comes from some some line of Buddhism, because I don't think it's mainline Buddhism, uh, probably a Tibetan Buddhism. Um, but what it says is, Agartha is the subterranean world in the hollow of the earth, connected by two places on earth proper, believed to be first colonized many thousands of years ago by those who fled there to be saved from the sinking of, you guessed it, Atlantis. Colonists are far advanced of our own civilization today. There are some scientists that have a hypothesis that this is also the home base of some types of flying saucers. And the capital there is a word you may have heard before, a city called Shambhala. Hmm. So very, very interesting since we discussed a little bit about hollow earth theory and uh, Atlantis and and those things. I had no idea that um, Buddhism touched on atlantis um well and it's, it's really interesting too because they they elude so they they say that they fled there with the sinking of atlantis mm-hmm. right so if atlantis is sinking why can't you go somewhere else on earth why go inner earth makes you wonder if atlantis was the reason of the great flood right or happened during the flood yeah right or uh from what we talked about in unhinged was it the ice age the the caps melting and flooding all of the earth for a moment um but this also tells me this place existed already if they knew where to go right right was this part of maybe oh wow just weird stefan theory here one of them creating this hollow plane grabbed too much heat from the center of the earth, and it's what melted the ice caps. Because ah. we don't know why. Created like a chimney, if yeah. you will. Yeah, because if it's two points, it would assume that it's there's yep. opposite ends of the, the the world. And what if that heat is what created the greenhouse effect and, and all that jazz and created the it's next... Not actually cow farts, as we were. <laughs> no, 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 no. But, you know, because my, you know, I've, I've had that theory that uh, the Atlanteans, it wasn't that they were water people, it's that they were ice people, right? You know, that maybe they lived on top of the ice. So, like, okay, now hear me out. Richard Donner, director of the first Superman movie, he, <laughs> right? What if the Kryptonians, because the Kryptonians there were ice people, right? What if that is what Atlantis was kind of like? And then you remember when, like, it got, like, too close to the sun, so all of a sudden, like, the ice is melting and, like, cities are are just falling and people are like ah! 
you know, falling down and stuff like that. Right. That could have been Atlantis, and Richard Donner might have been part Atlantean. Well, so uh, since we're the topic for tonight, I went ahead and plug Agartha into the uh, secret cipher, Ooh. and it comes back with a total of 54, ah. which if you bring that down to a single number, is nine, nine, which is a number that keeps coming up for us quite a bit. What was the uh, Shamba- Shambhala? S-H-A-M-B-A-L-L-A-H. So if we do Shambhala Agartha, which would be like the city in the state, mm-hmm. if you will, uh, that's 115, which is seven if you bring it all down. So mm-hmm. not really <laughs> significant there. Uh, just Shambhala by itself is 61, which is seven. seven. <laughs> Interesting <laughs> bum, enough. Bum, bum. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, no, I don't think it, it cross-references, though, with like land you loss. No, that's just 12, which would be three. Well, three could be divided into nine if you were going to break a nine down. So. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, do you have change for my nine? Yeah, I got three threes. Here you go. <laughs> well, you can't break three down into an even split. So No, you can't. Um, uh, yeah, Atlantis. What do we got at Atlantis? 94. Which is 13, which is four. But, you know, you a lot of speculation... That land you lost is actually land you lost. Yeah. Which would be Atlantis is the land you lost. Right. Which. And also Lando Lakes. Lando Lakes. (laughs) That's true, too. (laughs) I'm not going to put that (laughs) in. Living in the land of the lost. Living in the land. You put Krypton in. Good man. Good man. 107. 107 in park. Um, That's not even what it was. Um, That. Yeah, that's. Yeah. You could. I mean, trust me. I spend a lot of hours plugging random things into the secret cipher to Speaking see. Speaking of plugging, guys, <laughs> check out thesecretcipher.com, and you can put in your own in, like test phrases and all that stuff uh, into the cipher. There's a program that does it for you because uh, people like me don't math. Um, but anyways, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Agartha, very, very interesting. Uh, very, very cool. Thank you, June Bletzer. Um, but, yeah, let's go ahead and get into our next segment here so we can get it back to Alan Greenfield, which is a little bit of spooky news. So I have a weird one. Uh, and this one. Uh, That's good. It'll fit in. Yeah, well, it's it's weird. It's not a paranormal thing, it, it, and it's not even a space thing. It's just something strange, hmm. um, and scientists have no idea what's going on. Um, normally, I want things a little more paranormal, but I kept coming back to this story. Uh, it comes from CNN.com. Uh, the headline reads, More than 360 elephants die from mysterious causes in Botswana. Uh, The article goes on to say more than 360 elephants have died in mysterious circumstances in Botswana in the past three months, according to local conservationists. Some carcasses were found clustered around water holes, while others appeared to have died falling flat on their faces, according to Niall McCann, the director of conservation at the United Kingdom charity National Park Rescue. Live elephants seen nearby appeared physically weak and one was walking in circles, unable to change directions, observers said. Other species in the area did not appear to have been affected by whatever struck down the elephants. The Botswana government is testing samples from the dead elephants, but it is yet to determine a cause of death. The unusual number of elephant carcasses were first recorded at the start of May 2020, McKean said. 
Um, and there are a lot of pictures on here, by the way, of dead elephants, and it's kind of creepy. But anyways, they go on to say, it's appalling. We need to know what the hell is going on, uh, he said, adding that he couldn't recall another time when so many elephants died from a mystery cause. Now, Botswana is home to 130,000 African elephants, more than any other country on the continent. This is the... Uh, Okavango Delta, where the carcasses were found, and is home to around 10% of the country's elephants. Last year, Botswana scrapped an elephant hunting ban it had in place in 2014, sparking an international outcry. McCann said poaching could not be ruled out at this time, although the tusks were still on the elephants, as was the entire carcass. Uh, 800 of them are lying around as a magnet for criminals, he added, and yet no one is taking the tusks. McCann said that there were a number of possibilities for what could have caused the deaths, including possibly an elephant-specific parasite or even COVID-19. What I would like to emphasize, he says, is that this has the potential to be a huge public health crisis. Whatever the cause, McCann said it was important to get to the bottom of it, uh, as already the loss of elephant life was significant globally. The African elephant, of course, is classified as vulnerable on the International Union for Conservation of Nature's Red List, the first great elephant census, a pan-African survey conducted in 2016, revealed that in just seven years between 2007 and 2014, elephant numbers plummeted by at least 30% or 144,000. Wow. Yeah, so they have no idea why these elephants are dying. Um, and so immediately you think, oh, maybe the water, maybe this, but there are no other creatures that are dying. Yeah. they. It is literally it was, just yeah, elephants. If it was a watering hole thing, then yeah. Right, but of course, you know, they're not ruling out poachers, but again, the poachers are not taking anything. I mean, and so unless it's just some elephant assassin poacher, yeah. you know, uh, I don't know. Or they said it may be some sort of elephant-related illness that is, you know, or, or even COVID-19. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. It makes me wonder, though, um, do they use an online portal for the elephant census or do they mail those out? <laughs> <laughs> well, they get like, um, you know, like Mowgli and those guys. Yeah. They have to go. They have to go um, pride or not pride, whatever they're called. What, what are they called? Pod. pod. They're not pods. Are they pods? I don't I think know. They're called. I think they might just be called families. OK, I don't know. But from group to group to, to knock on tusks or knock on ears yeah. to uh, get the census. I How many you. in your family? How much you. money do you make? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> How long have you lived? Uh, but yeah, it's it's extremely sad, especially because, you know, elephants are um, one of those oh, yeah. animals that um, are not doing well in terms of keeping their numbers up. You know, and we, and, and we talked about, uh, I can't remember where we talked about it in the Alan Greenfield interview, so it may have come up last week or it may be in this week's episode, but... Um, but we talk about other intelligent life on the earth mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, we mentioned dolphins, but elephants is also one of yeah, those that elephants, are elephants uh, as well as many of the primates yep. and, uh, things like that. But yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, but yeah, that's, like I said, uh, not spooky, just, just odd, odd yeah. news and, and, and scary in a different kind of way. Yeah. Kind of news. Um, but yeah, let's perk up uh, the show here for a yeah, second really. by giving us the next segment, which is the UFO sighting of the week, because there's nothing more uh, wonderfully happy than someone being freaked out by something they don't understand what it is in the sky. Okay. 
All right, Josh. So we've got our UFO sighting of the week, which is coming from where this week? This actually comes from Burksville, Kentucky. Oh, so kind of close to home. Yeah, I've actually got family in Burksville. Oh, awkward. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know if anyone. Oh, wrote I, them I thought right. you were gonna say this is them. This is your family. Like the ship is my family. The, yeah, it's your it's my mother's spa- ship. My space family. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Greenfield is my space family. <laughs> That's for sure. All right. So this actually occurred on um, July third at eleven forty-five in the, in the evening. Mm, close to my sightings. Mine yep. was on the in between the fourth and the fifth. So it goes to say. While sitting outside Friday night, I looked to the south and noticed an object moving in the sky from east to west. The number and color of the lights on the object is what grabbed my immediate attention. There was a row of three to five orangish lights on top. The middle had five to seven reddish lights and the bottom row was three to five orangish lights. The top and bottom rows seemed to flash in synchronicity while they were off, the middle row was on. It was flying low. There are numerous hills in my area. It was between 800 to 1,200 yards away, maybe 400 feet off the ground. It made no sound. There are no airports near me and no flight paths of any kind. The weather was clear at the time. I was on my phone with a friend and described it to him, and he suggested fireworks. I've seen fireworks my whole life, and aircraft of all kinds of descriptions. I'm a retired Navy veteran and have watched airplanes my whole life. I have never seen anything like this, especially the light array on this thing. It was kind of eerie and awesome at the same time. I truly believe that this was not any sort of craft of this world. If I had to guess at dimensions, I'd say it was approximately 50 feet long and 50 feet tall. The pattern of light suggested the middle portion of the craft was longer than the top and bottom, hence the oval shape. The way the lights were flashing suggests to me they were following the circumference of the craft because there was brief intervals where the side was lights out. That way you can give exact counts of lights. Um, I, I get really upset because um, I had a number of people, of course, tell me, oh, it was, my sighting was obviously a firework. Well, guess what? It's like you hear fireworks. <laughs> Yeah. And here's a guy. Right. There's no fireworks going off near him. So more than and if he's if he's in a little valley, if there's hills everywhere, right. it's going to echo. echo. Yeah. And if you're not hearing any booms, it is obvious, especially the way that they're laid perfectly like that. And then we're in synchronicity with each other um, and to be able to judge the distance, you know, based off the hills so he could get an idea of how big this thing was. Yep. It's pretty impressive. Um more impressive than my own and uh I, man what a sighting well and in just for some anecdotal information here uh burksville kentucky is just five miles from cumberland lake cumberland okay um so we've been talking did we talk about that on the show or has that just been a i think that's you and me conversation but why not share it here yeah go ahead with your theory so um i went back and looked at a lot of or not all 
not a lot, all of the reportings that were investigated as part of Project Blue Book that had to do with, with UFO sightings. Now, if they went and investigated for like Area 51, for example, I didn't look at that as a, as a case. But any case where it was a UFO sighting or like the Flatwoods Monster and that sort of thing, I went and looked, and they were all in really close proximity to larger bodies of water. Now, that made me think about the Men in Black stories where the Men in Black would always ask for a glass of water. And so it made me think, well, if you're, a, if you're an interstellar spacecraft or even an interplanetary planetary one, and, um, and you're traveling, you probably don't have room for large amounts of water. So if, you know, I, wondered, I just wondered how many sightings that are seen close to water because they have to disengage whatever invisibility whatever that they have to bring water on board especially these large ship sightings yeah. right because uh, Battlestar Galactica they had to do that a lot where they had to find water right yep. you know and things like that and it's like when water only lasts so long if you don't have a replicator so. right I mean it's you know we, we kind of I think take that kind of stuff for granted but I mean even our international space station they have to send supplies up all the time, and the a time. water is one of them. Yeah. So. Now, what about um, how how close is uh, Burksville to uh, Somerset? Because I know with uh, Lake Cumberland being there, it shouldn't be far. Uh, let's see. If There's I can Monticello. Find it on the map, real quick. To the right. Oh, there, right here. Yeah. So from there. So it's the other side of the lake, essentially. Other side of the lake, yeah. <laughs> Ten miles. Well, because you know, with Hellier season two, they talked a lot about Somerset, and Sorry. of course, a really good friend of mine lives in Somerset. Forty-five miles. My apologies. Oh, that's okay. Uh, as the crow flies. Um, but yeah, so you know, and that also gets you know near uh, Cumberland Falls and and all of that stuff. Yeah, well, Lake, Lake Cumberland has a lot of sightings, and there are a crap ton of caves in the oh area. yeah oh yeah so, you know and like i said once again kind of regurgitating the hellier theory there <laughs> right. you know that there is something about that area well, as re, well you know our psychic word referred to agarta yeah you know the the space in the earth where they retreated so there's just a lot of references to support a hollow earth theory as well as the, you know, the cave theory as well as Right, and I want to go ahead and tell people, because this is not something that I knew. The hollow earth theory does not imply that there is no core. Right. Um, that's what I thought for a very, very long time. Any Jules Verne stuff, that's what I always thought, was that they went down to the Earth's core and there was nothing there. No, this just implies that there is a deeper, broader, larger cave system that goes even deeper into the crust that we can even imagine, yeah. and that there are cities and civilizations that either once lived there or still live there. I mean, the Earth as a whole is, I don't remember the exact numbers. We could look it up. But, I mean, it's, it's really uh, deep to get to the core. Mm -hmm. and Which we, we've never been. Right. It's, it, too, it's too deep. Well, it would be probably too hot, too. Yeah. But, but anyways, um, when you think about where we live, we're like... We're like Parmesan cheese sprinkled on top of a pizza. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's where we live, right? That's yeah. the space we live in. Mm -hmm. So we haven't even gotten down to, like, the red sauce. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm close. saying? So, I mean, it's just, um, so to assume, again, to assume that we understand completely the possibilities of our planet is ridiculous. Yeah. 
Agreed. And it uh, makes me think of that movie, The Core, which was really good, yep. by the way. Uh, but anyways, yeah, so UFO Sighting of the Week. Thank you uh, for whomever that was that, that shared that with New Fork. Um, what a great sighting. And I, and I say this to all of our UFO sighters. Thank you for being brave. Yeah. Um, we are collecting UFO sightings right now. So you can go on to uh, fearscapepodcast.com and go to submit a sighting. Uh, you can share your UFO sighting or any other. I mean, cryptid, ghost, any of that stuff. Yeah. Share those stories and just let us know that we have permission to share those um, as we are trying to collect incredible data to see how they all relate. So, yep. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess that puts us uh, to creepy catch up. Um, I had a very very light week, but uh, we'll get into it anyway. So let's go ahead and move into that so we can get to Alan Greenfield. Creepy catch up. Creepy catch up. Creepy catch up. Creepy catch up. Y'all, it's creepy. All right, creepy catch up. Uh, like I said, I have not had a damn thing happen to me this past week, which is fine. I, I like uh, weeks like that, but it also, in a lot of ways, tells me I'm so stressed I'm not paying attention. Yeah. Um, though I have been out uh, a few times to just look at the stars, but nothing, nothing grabbed my eyes. Um, yeah, been a nothing paranormal. Even with me being back in the office at work, I I, I expected to be bombarded by the ghosts that are there. Right. Nothing. So, yeah, I, I have not had anything. I would say major happen. I've had some a few small things. So you know, last weekend when we did the uh, the, the Greenfield interview with with uh, Mr. Alan Greenfield himself, uh, we also did a couple of Estes sessions. That's true. We um, did do that, and uh, we we experimented this time with what I'll what I'll call uh, enhanced. Um, uh, D- uh, deprivation sessions yeah, so so it is like an estes session but what we did is we we pre before we did went into the estes session we listened to like six or seven minutes of um binaural tones mm-hmm. meant to open your third eye right as well as kind of uh get your your brain ready ready to receive yeah or to hear those those thoughts now, now i will say on that and i talked to our friend santosh about that is that I, in in one regards, I think that I was falling asleep a whole bunch, but I wouldn't have kept waking up. Um, I think that I was indeed um, almost hypnotized, so to speak, mm. because I've been hypnotized before, and it felt very similar to that. So the responses that I had, it, there would be like these big blackout periods, and then I would be responding blackout period responding like the time for me i think we did like 20 minutes each or something like that felt like four minutes to me Hmm. i mean it was like no time had passed. i mean those s's sessions always feel short for the person this more than more than usual because i usually remember the pieces in between i don't remember anything in between like i said at first i thought it was because i was falling asleep but now i'm wondering if i had kind of fallen into some sort of trance like a trance yeah yeah yeah, so that and that's kind of the intention of why I wanted to do mm-hmm. it that way to see if you could kind of put yourself to connect to that lower level. Right. So, anyways, we did those. <clears throat> excuse me. I don't think we had anything spectacular that came of those. Mm-mm. Although we were both really tired at that point, and whenever we've done these in the past, and we're both really tired, we don't tend to get as good of results as if we do them earlier. In the right. Evening. But we did have um, something electrically happen electronically happen um whereas we were trying to record using night vision as well 
and and the memory the memory card in the night vision camera just is dead. Like it won't. The computer won't read it. The camera won't read it anymore. So it's we have just, no idea if we picked up anything or not. Right. And so of course the the conspiracy theorist in me is like, Ooh, what did it? What did it not <laughs> yeah, want us to right. see? Well, in, in in when we were recording the uh, interview with Mr. Alan Greenfield, uh, I had my uh, seek. Uh, thermal camera set up for my phone, right, right. Which you know, there's a. I did a little unboxing review of that on YouTube. If you want to check it out, but um, you know, I was recording towards us, looking towards the wall of the mm-hmm. basement, and it was pretty consistent. The wall, like reporting heat and that sort of thing, it was about 74 degrees outside. At about the 90 minute mark into our interview, a cold spot appeared in the corner, and the room that we record everything in is also the room that tends to. Where we hear the most, most activity, activity yeah. so it's almost like did something show up? Yeah. And then later, when we did the Esther sessions, my cat was down here going crazy, and you said something like, uh, "Are you playing with the cat?" Oh yeah. And yeah. my response was, "Yes, sir." Or yeah, like yeah. That. I went during your Esther session. Yeah, because it was Kitty Whiskers was going crazy, like <laughs> like obvious, and he, he's kind of a chill kind of dude when people are around, you know. But like. <laughs> Let's go in ham, dude. Like playing with something. Yeah. You know? Well, and he does that a lot. Like, I'll come down here to, to ride the uh, exercise bike, and he'll just be running around everywhere down here and talking. Like, he just, yeah, 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 yeah. Just so, yeah, there's something down here that he's playing with. Yeah, I don't know. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, yeah, so not like a crazy week by any means, no. but still interesting. The only thing other than that that I had was um, unify.org did a thing where they were oh, yeah. for like 10 days they had a bunch of different sessions to try to heighten your awareness that was going to culminate in a mass uh, ufo sighting on 7 14 at 3 33 a.m whatever your time zone was so like we're, um, eastern time so it would have been 3 33 eastern if you were pacific it would have been 3 33 pacific um so uh so i got up at 3 25 or something I like that i did not <laughs> I, I was back in the office. I was too tired. Well, so I, I well, it ended up. Uh, I didn't sleep well that night. Anyway, I didn't go to bed almost one o'clock, and then I went ahead and got up at, at that time and went out there. And I mean, it was a great night. It would have been a great night to see something. I mean, it was just like there wasn't a cloud in the sky. I could see so many stars. And I stood out there for about ten minutes and looked around and kept pivoting around and looking at the sky, and I never saw anything. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I was a little bit skeptical about the 333, your time zone. But then I thought, oh, well, three is a powerful number, first of all. Secondly, um, it makes sure that every time zone is dark. Yeah. You know, so if, it, if, if, if this convergence that was happening, that we were reaching out to this entity, uh, these, these UTs or ETs that were out there, they would know to go to the next time zone, yeah. go to the next time zone. Right. Or... Um, you know, whatever. Now, the only thing that I, that I had happened during that time is while I was standing outside, this was at about, I remember looking at my, at my watch, it was about 3.36. Um, I heard a loud, almost like a like a jet engine. Fireworks. No, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was like a jet engine, like a roar jet engine, um, but there was no plane in the sky. Maybe it was cloaked. Maybe. I don't know. Well, and that's what I was like when I heard it, I was like, like a mothership's going to fly over right now or yeah. something. I was like, please, that'd be so awesome. But, <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I, like I said, I didn't see anything in the sky, but that was the noise that I heard. And uh, for those who don't know, I mean, I'm at, I'm out like in the country. 
Um, about a mile. His address is no. no. <laughs> about a mile from the river, uh, from Ohio River. Um, and I mean, there's just not a lot that comes out here. And and I mean, an airplane flying over in the night sky, I would have seen. Um, not only that, but they usually don't fly low enough to hear that much of a roar from the yeah, engine. And you do. You have a large viewing area yeah. of the sky compared to where I live out in the city. Um, now, uh, d- d- have you followed up to see if anybody saw anything? Has anybody responded? I, I haven't been out. So they, you know, if you want to check it out, though, they have a Facebook page. It's Unify, uh, or you can go to Unify.org. I'm sure the people are reporting things there if they saw them. I have not I had a, I had an opportunity to go and investigate to see if anybody reported anything. Um, all right. Well, I'll be checking that out. Um, but, yeah, so anything else for Creepy Ketchup? Nope, other than that, that was about it. All right, well, let's get into uh, the exciting part two, um, wrapping things up with uh, our incredible friend, Alan Greenfield. Uh, Again, Alan, if you're listening, uh, thank you so much. We appreciate it. And uh, check out part two. This is where things go cray. Just kidding. The whole thing's cray. Hey, everyone. Josh here. Do you feel like mainstream options for things such as yoga, meditation, or documentaries and films meant to expand your mind are lacking? Have you heard of Gaia? Gaia is the largest resource of consciousness-expanding videos. Both Stefan and I have watched several of the series, documentaries, and films available on topics such as the Secret Space Program, Channeling Interdimensional Beings, and Alien Encounters. We're just now exploring the over 8,000 films, shows, and classes available to stream on your favorite devices. To get your 10-day free trial of Gaia, go to fearscapepodcast.com slash Gaia offer. Again, that's fearscapepodcast.com slash G-A-I-A offer. Distances are yes, and it's not like that wasn't true in 1947. It it's even true now, but people immediately went to it's either natural phenomena, hoaxes, or spaceships from outer space, and I just I don't get it. Why was that? What people leap? Yeah, I've never thought about it like that. Yeah, uh, well. I had an experience when I was a tiny little, maybe four-year-old. I was, uh, my folks love to go to Miami in July. And every July, we'd get in the Lincoln, and my father would put the pedal to the metal. And this was on US-1. There were no interstates back in the day. Mm-hmm. So from the age of two on, I spent a month in Miami every year. And... Um, how should I put it? Also stopped off in St. Augustine. That was my first uh, experience with the Ripley uh, skulls and other <laughs> uh, acceptable memorabilia for <laughs> stuff that wasn't rated X. <laughs> but, uh, pagan. I think that's what the deal there is. Um, yeah. Oh, they were so glad to sell me at Gardner's Charter. It's like that they had in the display room of the um, gift shop for $600. And that's what led me to find the whole 
uh, wow. Gardner collection. I thought, well, are they serious? Are they selling this? Wow. Mm. Okay. I'll put it over my bed, say I'm king of the witches, and I'll get laid a lot. Uh, <laughs> uh, man, the people in my in my coven would lose their shit here. <laughs> and they probably know, but geez. And then I made the terrible mistake of donating it to the OTO. So, and it hung in the living room of an enemy of mine uh, for a long time, uh, getting uh, its watercolor. So it's mostly, so it's bleached. Uh, and I don't know what happened to that afterwards. Probably it's in Breeze's mm. attic with the rest of the OTO library, which is always seems to be in his home, mysteriously. Mm. <laughs> but um, where was I going? I was I was You're, my you were you were you were four years old. You were telling us about an encounter that you probably had younger had. than that actually. But to, driving to Miami. Uh, well, I was on the beach. And I, I didn't know how to swim yet. That um, was a year or two before I, uh, apparently my parents saw a kid drown in a water hole in, uh, across the state line in South Carolina. And they made sure I knew how to swim. Neither of my parents did. So I was wading in the Atlantic. And there were a lot of other people waiting in the Atlantic, just like there are right now. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm not. And they are. And uh, farewell. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I saw in the sky a contrail, not a chemtrail. There are no chemtrails. I'm sorry. Amen. <laughs> so, contrail. And that's what I thought it was. I mean, I don't know if I knew the word contrail at three. Right. Four, but uh I knew it was a plane with exhaust coming out of it. And I hear another child further down the beach saying, I'll never forget this. It's, you know, an embed from that early period in my life. There goes a soul ascending into heaven. And I thought years later, this is as close to an explanation for why extraterrestrial was an immediate thought. It was either going to be perceived as a religious phenomenon, and some people have, you know, put it into a quasi-religious context, or it's extraterrestrial because there wasn't any room for uh, Hugh Everett had not even come up with the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics until 10 years after that, I think, roughly. Uh, So, uh, and it, it was a very controversial theory until the last 10 years, I think. And now it's it's one of the four or five orthodox ideas about what makes the omniverse tick. The term ultra-terrestrial, I will give credit where credit is due. That's Keel's term. And I adopted We yeah. had a long correspondence, which I lost when I was escaping from my first wife, which is a long story in and of itself. But, uh, but uh, I had this folder of letters from Keel and uh, he started using the term ultra terrestrial and uh, I bought into it because I was already uh, over the ETH but convinced that something unconventional was going on and uh, it seemed like an appropriate term so I stand by it yeah it it when I mean when we first came across it 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 I don't know. For me, it filled in a lot of gaps about things that I've thoughts that I've had throughout my entire life. I mean, I've been on a 
crazy paranormal occult journey since I was little. And so, yeah, it definitely filled in some gaps and it has opened some doors big time. Well, and and, and it's really, I I think, interesting. Well, I don't don't know. It's it's almost a little uh, arrogant, I think, from a from a human human race perspective to assume that we're the only intelligent life that uh, may be on Earth uh, or or at least uh, connected to this planet. Um, And so, I mean, there's. We know that uh, like dolphins are are, are intellectual and, and likely, um, you know, likely have some sort of a uh, uh, awake. You know, I, I don't know what the, what the right word to say is, but they're um, intelligent life. Let's say aware, a- aware. I think is the right word. Um, but like, you know, what can there not be another civilization in, in the history of our planet? You know, it's millions of years old. Yet we've only, you know, we've spawned in the last you know, 50,000 years or whatever. And, and somehow there was no other life before us that was intellectual. Um, so I think it's a little arrogant on our parts to assume that. Oh, no, I don't. I mean, I, in fact, I run stuff on uh, pre-civilization civilizations all the time. And I always ask myself the musical question, would there be any remnant of that? Which it turns out is kind of a fad uh, now in the, uh, yeah. certain scientific circles there's even a term for it which I don't recall at the moment but uh, uh, Salarian is that the, the term Something- oh the, the reptiles no it's just the notion well that's I was like Cause Doctor Who that's what Doctor Who they call the the, the Solarian. Yeah, and I think that the, the term has migrated into uh, certain scientific circles where they're <laughs> trying to imagine if there was uh, an advanced civilization before the evolution of mammals into uh, I- into us, um, what would it have been? One of the things is that there was a dinosaur small dinosaur the big ones were doomed anyway i think that was nature's little mistake and it was mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh if if the uh asteroid had not hit the earth and they had continued to evolve mammals probably would have remained uh in their burrows uh, as small creatures trying to not get eaten and maybe they would have evolved into intelligent beings they had hands and they stood upright and but there are other possibilities as well including that there was a human civilization before the ice age the last ice age yeah just completely disappeared and the question is would there be any remnant of it and i tell you just in this you know covid has very few blessings associated with it but notice what has happened in the cities during the period of extreme shutdown the air has cleared, people, yeah, yeah. sky, animals have wandered in to cities like San Francisco and L.A. and places that you don't normally see wild animals, um, uh, deer and all, all sorts of uh, creatures, great and small. And that's just in a couple of months of relatively little human external activity. So what about let's say god forbid we disappear day after tomorrow what will happen a hundred a thousand ten thousand years from now how much of our stuff 
will still be available right. for future intelligent creatures to dig up and say that's right. intelligent. Maybe nothing, or maybe next right. to yeah. nothing. You keep finding anomalous things like a screw in the middle of a piece of coal. Yeah. Coal is millions of years in the in the formation. If in the middle of a piece of coal there is a screw, it's a rusty screw, I'll grant you, but it's a screw. And uh, there are there are uh, any number of objects like that, and that's all you would really expect to see. Also, the notion that an, a truly advanced civilization will big, build big monuments to itself, that, that's absurd. I mean... Yeah, we expect them to act as we did. Yeah, I'm, well, I mean... I don't think building huge pyramids was the pinnacle of Egyptian civilization. It was probably before. People wonder, well, well that was the period where, uh, where they were trying for immortality in one form or another, and that probably was late in their, in their civilization. Uh, Ramesses II, famously very late in Egyptian history, built gazillions of statues of himself. First of all, he lived to be 90-something or whatever, and uh, had an ego to match his longevity, which that's like 180 by today's mm-hmm. standards. Uh, I mean, they had you know very little in the way of medicine, hecka to the contrary. Um, but that's not a sign of high civilization. Yeah. We are going through a, an, um, what do they call it? An iconoclastic period with the Confederacy right now. I have mixed feelings about that because some things are art and I don't believe art should be destroyed, but I, I get the point. And that happens. That happens and said, you know, the, the famous pulling down of Saddam Hussein's statue while he was yeah, yeah. hiding away. We, um, we equate civilization with our big buildings and who's to say that maybe a civilization could have evolved that that did not go for uh the kind of technology that we have that in fact they decided we need to use the unhewn un undressed stone because then we won't be uh, interfering with nature. Uh, that was mm-hmm. uh, the ethos of the uh, Native American cultures. And yes. I don't think that they were uh, primitive. I think that they were, that they went in a different direction. And yeah. they do, actually. You know, that's the. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, who's to say they used the metal and the things that we use now? Why not? Could they not have formed biodegradable homes or biodegradable machines or anything or just biochemist or any of that regards we assume that they if there was something it would have had to have been exactly as we are much like those that search for ets expect them to be humanoid well because god created us in his image but anyways and also of course i just want to make sure that i point out just for our listeners who who may not know um, the pyramid was built to store grain (laughs) so. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about. <laughs> but I I live in a HUD rent control building, so <laughs> I have to say there's some credibility to that theory. God. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know the whole. The, I think the whole idea, though, that 
you know, uh, are you familiar with uh, with Daryl Anka and the channeling of Bashar Absolutely. at all? Okay. So, so we, we just came across we it just too. came across it on on Gaia and um, uh, so there's this there's this gentleman named Daryl Anka who um, who claims to channel and uh, I guess if you were to break it into terminology it would be uh, a human a humanoid from a parallel earth that their time is different than ours so they're far advanced from our semblance of humanity and they bred themselves almost into extinction, left their parallel universe to come to others to try to reintegrate human DNA back into their species so that they could not die off. And so they've been to lots of humanities throughout all the different multiverses to try to reclaim their their humanity, if you will. And so this uh, Daryl Anka guy channels this... this uh, uh, entity called Bashar and one of the things he talks about is is that at one point in time they ruined their planet on the surface and so they had to move underground uh, they did all kinds of mutations and everything to try to extend their life and for living underground and that's and that's actually the in, in, in his channeling is the origins of the greys if you will is that they are actually from a different dimensional representation of the earth but now they've come to other Earths to try to spread their misfortune, if you will, to as a as a uh, deterrent from us to pursue the same path. Which to me, that whole underground idea is how they evolved was underground and their skin darkened and their eyes got big. Sounded so much to me like the Morlocks from the time machine. But <laughs> yeah. I was going to say this would be a good script for my son to write, you know, but. <laughs> uh, each generation of trance channelers has in some way reflected the period of time that we were going through at the time. In the 1940s, uh, uh, BSRF and uh, uh, Mark Probert was a principal channeler and he was channeling the ether ships which remarkably resembled UFOs before the term flying saucer even came into being as early as 1945-46 in there. Um, uh, later there was uh, the, uh, uh, earlier than that there was the uh, trans channeling which is associated with mediumship which supposedly was right. communication with the dead. Um, uh, and more recently there is uh, the raw material, I happen to know the people that, that did that. They're complete, well, most of them have passed on, but they were completely on the level and could teach anybody to channel. That was one of their things. But the big thing for me is they never made any claims about the material. They said, read it, judge it for whatever it's worth, but we don't make claims because it's channeling and channeling is a mystery in and of itself and i thought indeed i think they were in your turf there now that i think about the ll lightlines research in in, yeah i believe you're right yeah kentucky yeah kentucky yeah friend carla uh, who has passed on just in recent years um she was a remarkable channel and her for um 
principal channeler, the one who channeled the raw material, which is extensive, uh, was Elkins, who by day was a, an Eastern Airlines pilot and by night was a trans channeler. So make of that what you will. But they, they did their thing in my living room, okay? You know, did the channeling thing. And I could detect any sort of uh, pretense or they didn't use really strange voices for beyond the void or <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. But it was um, interesting material. And what to make of it, I don't know. But th that story, if I had heard it 20 years ago, I would have said, wow, that's really remarkable but now there's so much material on on alternate universes and uh movies that that deal with that and then even uh, comic books excuse me graphic story books uh <laughs> that uh, uh that deal with the same stuff i'm not saying that this guy is faking because i don't i would have to investigate before i could could say one thing or another but certainly the influences of society impact what you get i think there is with all of this stuff where there is nothing material there's a, a signal to noise ratio and you get a lot more noise than signal now the noise may, may be significant too because that's the sound of the big bang that's the and every time i say big bang your screen freezes that's Incredible. The powers <laughs> that's, I have. That's the power beyond. of Spider Rainbow, man. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> never have said Oh, I just want I just want I my artist buddy to draw you as a superhero. <laughs> okay. Go go for it. And uh, <laughs> No, I love it. I appreciate it. Yeah. We're, I, we're I'm not poking just. fine. <laughs> I used to be thin. I used, I used to not live in a HUD-subsidized building, too. <laughs> okay. hey, ask something else. I'm, I'm, uh, I think I've covered that. So, well, so I guess kind of sticking with the UT uh, conversation, something else that we've seen pop up a lot, and there's actually references it, to it in the Secret Cipher book, is the whole uh, Sumerian uh, Inky and and uh, uh, Enlil, Enlil, Anunnaki, Anunnaki, and all that kind of all that kind of stuff. And you, I think you mentioned it as the dog, Dogons, Dogons. Uh, but you know, basically the the gods that came that were like fish people and, and all that kind of stuff. But just the the relationship between a lot of that stuff and potentially the UTs that that you know that. Right, like we talked about, like I mean, the clawed beast sounds everything mm -hmm. like a like one of the Dogons. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I, there is no reason to think that there can't be aquatic, uh, not, not like dolphins, uh, because dolphins, first of all, there's uh, a disadvantage, evolutionary disadvantage of being underwater. You can't make fire. And there's another one when you don't have something like opposable thumbs. So uh, I think they're very intelligent, but I also don't think that they have the material to evolve anything other than a spoken language.
language, which I understand they have even dialects, different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've put uh, uh, porpoises together uh, in SeaWorld and other places, which has driven some of the Greenpeace and PETA people crazy because they're from different pods. They speak different languages, so they they, yeah. they aren't able to communicate. Um, however, amphibious creatures, which is what we're talking about and with the Ioannis and the uh, and the Dogon and uh, Nomo, uh, which shows up in, in Crowley's Anokian uh, uh, adventures in which I have, duplicating those, I have found the same stuff and so have a lot of, lot of other people. Um, that's perfectly plausible that they spend time in the water and they spend time on the land. We know for a fact, our probable fact that uh, that the great mammals in the ocean were once land animals. Hard to think of a whale as a land animal, but apparently they kept retreating further and further because of the safety of the shore, relatively speaking, and uh, evolved back into relatively advanced creatures, relatively advanced mammals that were purely aquatic, um, but still breathed air. Well, and you know, there's that idea that, um, and Joseph Campbell talks a lot about that stuff too, is that, that that idea that these stories do come from something, right? So what do they come from? Um, <clears throat> even the hero's journey and, and all of those things, there's something that's written within our DNA to tell that story over and over and over. And, uh, you know, do these tales of, say, like Atlanteans in, in the terms of uh, like Aquaman or something like that, yeah. does that come from this idea that in our past or we knew somehow genetically do we remember things, right? Yeah, I mean, that, uh, uh, Jung kind of took the middle, middle path on, on the one hand, he thought archetypes were implicit in our makeup and had something to do with the way we were psychologically built. But he also mm-hmm. thought there was, you know, some physical existence uh, the, and to the Ching, uh, to UFOs, to all, all kinds of things, which he soft pedaled because he was, uh, you know, a regular scientist. And that's something But uh, Campbell carried it out further and mm-hmm. it seems to me that there may be something more Velikovskian than Campbell-esque involved here that we are in a sense collectively amnesiac about some event yes. events in early historic or prehistoric times which were so traumatic we have just wiped them from our conscious mind but they persist at an unconscious level. That is a very legitimate theory. I, I just posted a thing today that I thought was um, in line with a, a theory that I have dismissed for years that there is new information on from ultra scientific circles. They would deny the connection altogether, but uh, the, the whole Cleve Baxter, Secret Life of Plants, Peter Tompkins thing, which uh, got laughed at by orthodoxy as Velikovsky did. Um, um, apparently, plants do communicate with one another. 
mm-hmm. through electrical connections in under the ground and they they apparently have found broad scientific evidence for that so i put the story right out of my news feed on my uh mewe page <laughs> to facebook and uh at the bottom of it i gave a link to the secret life of plants by tompkins who i think was a very um important thinker and to Cleve Baxter who passed away a few years ago but I think you know sometimes people who are uh highly criticized by the orthodox establishment become orthodox later on yeah uh, that is by orthodox I mean accepted yeah and, uh, yeah I think that the the collective uh uh amnesia notion that Belikovsky put put forward is perhaps the explanation for a lot of things that happened in in primordial times. Yep, it's it's something I'm coming around to a lot. A lot is that is that idea. Mm. That could explain some of the phenomena we've been talking about too, you know, from mm-hmm. from yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean even you know we even some of those ideas of the Sasquatch and and some things like that you know it's like you look at some of the Native American. Uh, I just was reading something that they had just found a, a, uh, some hidden um, old site of Native Americans in the Northwest that had been undiscovered. And in there, they found a number of statues dedicated to the Sasquatch and things like that. And it's like, even in that regards, how much of that was this this collective amnesia, right? It, it, who knows? Who knows? Well, it's accepted theory whatever that worth that there was i think it was the clovis culture i may be mangling my terminology i'm not an anthropologist so yeah the clovis is uh, the one in skinwalker i believe right yeah but the, the point about clovis <clears throat> is it was destroyed by some natural disaster mm-hmm. and that is the accepted theory what the disaster was <clears throat> i presume it was whatever created meteor crater or you know or yeah. right yeah but whatever it was it it set back north american civilization which was very considerable in pre-columbian times it opened mm-hmm. out to be not so much so became roving bands of people the way if someone from somewhere else had come into europe during the darkest of the feudal period and judged European civilization based not on Greece and Rome but on uh, you know the local warlords uh, it would have been like that because um apparently things like Cahokia and just down the road from where I am uh, the Etowa Indian mounds and the mound culture all over America was very advanced it was not particularly technological but it was similar to the civilizations further south in Mesoamerica the uh, going back to the Olmecs and maybe before so we're talking yeah. about very very early what happened apparently <clears throat> was a combination of drought which happens periodically and uh pigs the spanish imported pigs into america the way the philistines did into the uh, middle east which accounts for mm-hmm. why jews don't eat pigs <laughs> what mm-hmm. was a certain number of pigs 
got loose and pigs are are barnyard boars basically. yeah and they reverted and they went north and the the agriculture was based on maize on corn and these pigs were fruitful and multiplied and ate the corn and the uh, the whole mound culture which just prior to the landings in North America that are accepted from you know Plymouth Rock and so forth um, they were gone they had been destroyed by by pigs and uh, um, the combination of drought in the southwest and pigs all over the Mississippi Valley and the, uh, it was called the Mississippian culture in fact um, and seemed to even have connections to the Aztecs and the, the Mayans and so Right, we were just seeing something about that. <clears throat> but yeah, it's fascinating. I saw a documentary on on pigs and how they do. They revert so quickly. If if a a domesticated pig gets loose within a like I think they said like a week or two, they'll revert fully back to boars, grow hair, grow teeth, the whole nine yards. Yeah, it's they're only barely domesticated. Yeah, you know, so they, they um, um, I don't, you know, you can blame the conquistadors for that, or you can just say that and the diseases they brought from filthy mm-hmm. Europe yes. were not something that they even knew that they, you know, had. It was like germ warfare, but it had the same effect as germ warfare. It, it wiped yeah. out whole civilizations. Yep. So by the time the uh, the pious pilgrims got here. What they found were wandering bands of, of Creek in Cherokee. By the way, the Creek apparently got a ruling from the Supreme Court that they own Oklahoma. Yeah, it's like 50% of Oklahoma. I saw that. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Cause See what happens with that. <laughs> well, they used to call that the Indian nation. That was, uh, mm-hmm. there's a Woody Guthrie song that... Uh, uh, starts way down yonder in the Indian nation, riding my pony on the reservation. Uh, th- that was the name of the of the thing above the Texas Panhandle, and they just took it away because they were. That's what they do. That's yeah, we. That's what we do. Uh, well, apparently uh, the the court. I mean, it can't go any higher than that. Uh, no. Uh, if they rule, it'll probably they're not going to take the land they probably will take compensation for it but uh very interesting and the fact is that those peoples of the tribal groups that we know about uh if they were asked about the the mounds or the uh the wall that was bulldozed down to make room for the confederate statues on stone mountain they say it was made by giants well, I don't know what the translation is doing, but probably they didn't know who made them. I used to think maybe they ate them, you know, but yeah, yeah, the I don't know, pigs, you know. Oh well, they were delicious. <laughs> yeah, mounds. Uh, we don't have them anymore. They were delicious, though. Yeah, well, I mean, even pre the Spaniards, I mean, you know, many civilizations disappeared and. And then it's like I found fascinating the the cities that used to exist even in the United States area before anyone yeah. came over these huge wooden cities that just existed that there is no evidence of anymore yet 
you know, we feel, you know, what the scientists say, there always has to be evidence, right? It's like we just have pictures or whatever that, that show. Um, but those cities are gone. They're gone completely. These giant, huge epicenters for Native Americans <laughs> where they traded and lived and worked and, and all of that, gone. Just gone. And, you know, and they don't have a history of that people's either. It's, the it's mounds crazy. that we have here that are about 30 miles north of Atlanta in Cartersville, Georgia, which, by right. the way, is a great place to see UFOs, but uh, if you are so inclined, um, they've never been excavated. One of the mounds, uh, one of the smaller mounds, there's three mounds there, uh, has been excavated and they found some beautiful statuary that is very advanced if they if the people that lived there made them and didn't just trade for them they uh they, they were quite sophisticated artistically they were as good as anything that you will see in the terms of statuary in, in from mesoamerica so you know they 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 were not the kind of civilization that we have in the big cities but they were uh, clearly civilizations and they may not have been the first in fact um, there are reports of people that went up the rather virgin from the European standpoint uh, Amazon that showed uh, people uh, early missionaries whatever that were just basically looking along the shore and reporting cities all through the uh, through the Amazon jungle Hmm. And uh, there's nothing left of them, but then right. the jungle probably ate them, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't say it any better. Yeah, I mean, that's just the way it is. I, I was talking about this, uh, you know, what would happen if we disappeared? What would happen to the construction site across the way here yep. if, uh, if we disappeared tomorrow? Well, it would revert to what it was when I moved in. It would be a, a forest within... A year or so, and right. well, there's actually I can't I can't remember what network it's on. It's either History or Discovery, but they did a show several years ago that, that talked about that same subject. What ha what would happen if human if hum if humans were just no longer here, and they tracked it out over time to oh, show life after humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it's pretty interesting to see how quickly it goes back to just being wildlife. Well, like I said, if, you, if you're seeing wild animals wandering the streets of San Francisco, large ones, bears, uh, uh, deer, um, smaller animals, whatever, and the air clearing up, and, uh, and that's in a matter of weeks, it doesn't take too much. I always smile when I see uh, grass growing up in, uh, in a parking lot because yes. yeah. it's just sort of the tenacity of nature and uh, the fragility of, of our pretense at being civilized. Um, don't know, but I suspect that if there was a pre-civilization civilization, it may have been worldwide, which would account for things like the, um, uh, the Aurelius Phineas map and the Perry Rice map and other things that seem to have a really good knowledge of the entire planet. Mm -hmm. And they showed up way too early and probably were copies of copies of copies of copies. Yeah. Um, that my suspicion is that when uh, 
the Ottomans sacked Constantinople, the last of the great libraries of antiquity, which was more spread out than, say, Alexandria, the, the stuff from it got appropriated. If it was maps, the, uh, the mariners would have gotten a, a hold of it. And of course, uh, um, uh, the Perry Rice was an admiral in the, the Ottoman Navy. So he could have requisitioned, do you have any maps? And that was, that has survived for the, what, 500 years since then? But yeah. probably was based on maps when Antarctica was ice-free, which we now know it was. Yeah. Yep. In fact, it was a hot jungle at one time with dinosaurs mm -hmm. and all of that. Now, nobody in 1500 knew that. Nobody, nobody on earth knew that. But there was the map. Somebody had yeah. cut. Right. Might have been aliens from Mars. Or, <laughs> but it's or more likely it was a... Venusians. Yes, yes, yes. Or the Lanulosians. The Lanulosians, yes. <laughs> Some of my favorite aliens. My favorite <laughs> are the Piwamians. The P the Piwamians yeah. are they are they on me wee wee as well? <laughs> oh, no, they're not yet, but I probably will do a thing on Ralph Lale and the Brown Mountain Lights because, yeah, he's just an old country. He was just an old country boy that had this little museum, the Outer Space Rock Shop Museum, and said he had this story that he spun and would sell his little booklet for a dollar. And he showed me around, he showed Jim Mosley around, he showed Gene Steinberg around, uh, uh, Tim Beckley was there. I mean, I, I made two trips there. And uh, his story is right out of Germanic uh, mythology. Now, how is a good old boy from the backwoods who purportedly was a moonshiner with little to no education, how was he coming up with a story focused on under Brown Mountain that's identical to the to the Tannhauser myth of the, of the Middle Ages, including what did Tannhauser find under the, the Venusberg? He found the goddess Venus. And where did the aliens from Piwam take Ralph Leo? to the planet Venus. Uh, Venus, yeah. <laughs> Much like Indra did with Woody. Brown naked, which is exactly right. the description that, you know, that you get from from uh, Tannhauser, which, origin unknown, but certainly at, at least early medieval time. Yeah. Well, there's even uh, mentions of that in the uh, Woody Derenberger book about the uh, visitors from Langulos, about them going to Venus and everybody running around naked. And so... You know, speaking of uh, Derenberger, each other, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, speaking of Derenberger, um, something that uh, we recently read or, or Stefan did anyway was the book from Tanya Derenberger. Um, I don't know if <laughs> how I feel about it too. <laughs> um, but one of the things that uh, that I guess we pulled out of that, and also uh, her interview on uh, on the Hellier season two was that uh, Indrid uh, Cold was dead. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think she, she knew someone who claimed to be Indrid Cold. 
the, the most interesting part of that interview to me was her account of her childhood. Yes, where Woody in the book too. Where Woody Derenberger comes home from the experience, the original experience with Indrid Cold, pale and quiet, uncharacteristically so, and scared the bejesus out of his daughter. Well, the rest of the story, I mean, you can take it or leave it or or just put a big question mark on it, but that's almost certainly the case. And in a weird sort of way, it validates Darren Berger's original experience. You know, you can, a lot of uh, people that I've talked to who have uh, classical contactee, albeit the quieter ones, uh, experiences. I think the original experience is real. The subsequent experiences are kind of post-hypnotic suggestions. That's what we feel about it too. Yeah. Uh, John Reeves, uh, who I I got to know him very well, I visited maybe six times. There's a picture of my father playing golf in the flying saucer landing area, which uh, Beckley published recently, which I thought was showed my father's attitude towards these things. <laughs> His hat <laughs> is sitting on top of the Lincoln, and he's out in this area where the footprints were, and he's swinging the club. He was. He was, uh, you know, championship amateur golfer. But um, Reeves' first experience was this being gets out of this craft or what he takes to be a craft. And it appears to take a picture of him. In other words, a flash. Shades of the Men in Black movies, you know. Yep. That's just what I'm sure. I think all the other experiences where he goes to Alpha Centauri and Bejesus and Lanulus and other wonderful places in the universe, all of which are amenable to the uh, the cipher, the euphonauts. I mean, that uh, I've mm -hmm. run practically any that I get. That's the first thing that I run because that's the first thing that I discovered that wasn't from the occult community. You know, I. I learned it from the occult community, from Tim Coutte, who invented the Lexicon program. And uh, he said, try this on, you know, on the barbarous names. And I did, but I don't know. It was, it, it worked, but I, it just, just seemed like, you know, one more mystery on top of other mysteries. So, but he said, you got to work with it. So I tried it on something that would never have occurred to him, which was, some of the weird names mm -hmm. you know, of which planetary names that don't exist and uh, the name a name like Indrid Cole is uh, you know uh, Orthon which has the same value as Jesus and he looked mm -hmm. like the uh, the Aryan version of Jesus <clears throat> right or or Valiant Thor yeah, yeah. Val Thor well that might have been a government hoax I, I hear that, though I've been seeing some people trying to either insinuate, A, that Valiant Thor was the head of the mothership of the Lanyalosians, or was indeed Indrid Cold. <laughs> yeah, well, those are the same people that follow Ashtar Command. Anyone yeah. who is a, a smattering of magical knowledge knows what Ashtar comes mm -hmm. from. You don't need the cipher to get that one. We're talking about Ashtaroth, a 
demon from hell that claims to have come to America and turned into a good guy, even though he was a fallen angel. Yeah. I mean, that's ancient, you know, ancient uh, demonic lore. But I wouldn't fool with that stuff. And people that do, they're going to hear whatever they, uh, yeah. whatever they're told, because this is snake oil from outer space. And it's not the contactees that I don't believe. It's Ashtar and his denizens. <clears throat> that stuff that uh, you know is the wrong, tri- the wrong side of the tree of life. And uh, <laughs> do that at your peril. But yeah, I, I agree with you, the hypnotic state, <clears throat> which to me explains why he saw Venus the way that he did when we now know what Venus actually is very uninhabitable and, and things like that, because that's what his brain needed to see, right? To, to, to fit. To process. To process. Thank you. That's the word I was looking mm-hmm. for. Or if, <clears throat> if you want to take it one step back perhaps this uh collective amnesia we're talking about perhaps there's a post-hypnotic suggestion to remember and Mm. we're remembering something that we're associating with venus or mars or alpha centauri or lanulus or whatever and that it's really a memory of uh ancient Sumer and maybe even before that yes the early yeah. Indian civilizations which uh, the the more they dig the more they find all well and fascinated with astronomy because astronomy was everything to these people well and what is the possibility that you know the the asteroid belt that's between Mars and Jupiter you know a lot of people have theorized that there was another planet, another uh, solid planet there, and that Venus was actually the the moon, a moon of that planet. I believe the name that they give this potential planet was like Phaeton or something like that. Yeah, but, yeah, Phaeton. <clears throat> but um, it, it just it's curious to think that maybe Venus was once habitable, and when he was seeing these depictions, if you will, he was looking back in time. Right, because there are um, some of those scientists that talk, or some of those astronomers that talked about that. Uh, they talked about figuring out mathematically when it would have happened, and then there are um, historical records that account for things and civilizations seeing. Uh, like that it that it kind of whizzed by earth and that's where some cataclysms may have happened or things like that as venus was whizzing past as it got shot out of orbit yeah velikovsky said that venus emerged as a as a cometary body from jupiter Mm -hmm. and it wandered past the earth among other things wreaking havoc in the ancient world and possibly explaining the collapse of the late Bronze Age civilization, which is usually attributed to the Sea Peoples and uh, other uh, nefarious activities. But um, that would explain the traumatic experience that people have blocked. It would explain the long gap, which they don't like, Egyptologists don't like to talk about, but there's a long gap in, in Egyptian history about which we have nothing. No- right, yeah. The Sphinx alone. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's even earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Sphinx probably precedes any of the, the familiar uh, 
uh, Nile-related uh, 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 structures that we know about. It seems to have been there long before, and yeah. and maybe a lot longer before. And yeah. it's a pyramid in Mexico, the name of which I, I I don't know, but it has a panic layer, which is datable to about seven thousand years ago. Below that layer is a layer of. I don't know. We have no name for the uh, what they call Toltecs, you know, because that was the Aztec word for people that, like Anasazi, for the southwestern pueblo. They didn't know who they were, so they called them Anasazi, which means unknown. Toltec doesn't really mean anything. It's just what they called whoever built the, you know, sophisticated pyramids. In this particular case, though, the eruption that caused the pervasive lava flow that completely encased a level of this pyramid below that is a whole another civilization and that would take mm. it back to the at least to the to the last ice age yeah if not earlier than that i mean it's 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 got to be 10,000 years or more old and that has gotten no publicity at all but it is in the uh, uh, tompkins book uh, uh, about the Pyramids of Mexico, which was kind of the coffee table follow-up to the, the one he did about the Egyptian pyramids. So, magic in Mexico, as I said in Bell, Book, and Candle. I love Bell, Book, and Candle. That's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> Do I? <laughs> I have. I love that movie so much. <laughs> I whack it. Yep, that my uh, one of my very close friends. She named her cat. She got a she got a Siamese cat and named it Piwacket. Can so. she cry? No, uh, she can't. It, uh, <laughs> Only Jack Lemon can make her cry. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, my, but yeah, that, just the, yeah, that whole Toltec. I mean, that that automatically makes me think of Carlos Castaneda, of course, <laughs> his his dealings with Don Juan. Started to do the Mount Arabia stuff. <clears throat> what we started out to do was the vision quest uh, that Castaneda describes. And um, I got my advanced education at the University of Arizona, which is in the Sonora Desert, which I wouldn't want to be at right now because they're having oh, I know. the first heat wave in history. I know. I'm actually moving out to Phoenix in October. so <laughs> Phoenix is hotter. Oh, I know. <laughs> I don't get why that is. It has something to do with uh, topography, but uh, topology or whatever the ology is there. But the point is, Tucson is further south, but it's mm -hmm. uh, about 10 degrees cooler yep. than than Phoenix. And if you go north of Phoenix, you actually get up into the what amounts to the Canadian zone around um, uh, Flagstaff, yeah, yeah, it's mm -hmm. a fascinating area because it's so extreme. But um, and that, by the way, you will pass where the Anasazi once lived in Chaco Canyon. So, yep, I've been to Chaco Canyon. Oh, really? Yeah, my I have family that lives out in Phoenix, and then I used to live out in New Mexico as well. So I spent a lot of time out in the Southwest. Well, I have a good friend from the old days of ufology in. Uh, what is the name of that border town below Tucson? Uh, anyway, his name is Ed Beeble, and if you can touch base with him, because 
I speak from experience. It ain't that far from Phoenix to Tucson. It's new. No, last time I was there, we went down to Tombstone, so we went right through Tucson. Yeah, so. uh, he, he lives in Nogales, but that's virtually a suburb of, of Tucson. And uh, he's got ufology stories dating back to the 60s because he... I will, I will connect with him very quickly. I'm very excited about the people that I meet out there for the show, so... Yep, you're probably going to be well rewarded because that is a fertile area. Yes, it is. Back in my uh, graduate, postgraduate days, the University of Arizona was kind of an extension of Southern California in the 19, early 1970s, 1980s. And it was a totally different, I mean, it was just that countercultural backwater that didn't get monitored nearly as much as northern mm-hmm. california so we uh we had some interesting experiences there i mean that's where i saw Monty python and the holy grail that was a credit class okay uh. <laughs> and uh baba ram that's was, was one of our uh, lecturers and I, I mean it was just uh I got a very countercultural education, which is why I'm living in a HUD. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, but your stories are epic. That's, yeah, they got my degrees <laughs> in comparative religion, which that and a dollar seventy-five will get you on the bus to downtown Atlanta. I have a bachelor of fine arts in theater. Oh, just... okay. Same. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a good idea at the time. It sure the hell did. <laughs> oh, I, I'm going to be wise, but poor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Never occurred to me. It was just mm-hmm. not the times, you know? But no. Fine arts. Yep. So uh, I was going to ask you, um, since the cipher that's documented in the book was cracked in 1974 or whatever. I think that was the right, the right. Yeah. Thing. I'm getting the right area. Okay. Um, do you think there's a new cipher? You know, no, I don't, but I'll tell you what I anticipated back then. Okay. Um, I should mention this, uh, Illuminate press, which disappeared under very suspect circumstances gave me my first break as an author with the original edition of Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts. Mm-hmm. Um, I had written for 20 years at that point, but I'd never, except a little self-published thing called Saucers and Saucerers, which sold for a dollar and was about ufologists, not about the subject of ufology. Um, um, Ron Bonds, the publisher of Illuminate Press, which had started out as a BBS, if you even know what that was, called Illuminate, um, read what I had written in terms of an autobiography, and he said, I can't publish this, you're not famous. (laughs) But the part about UFOs, if you turn that into a book, I think that would make a good book. And that was the basis of Secret Cipher and Secret Rituals, both of which he bought. But then came the uh, censorship that I got from the OTO, uh, well, specifically from Bill Breeze. 
and uh, uh, I bought the second book back and didn't publish it for 10 years. I was still in the OTO, but at that point, I didn't give a damn. I was long since disillusioned and staying on just in case they, you know, wanted to listen to something that I had to say. And when they didn't, I published in public what I had to say. And then they solemnly said, we fire you. And I said, you can't fire me. I quit (laughs) a year ago. He said, no, you didn't. You left us hanging. I said, no, look in your mail, Dave. Look in your mail. I said, I uh, cannot serve this group of people anymore. So I'm resigning from all these positions. If you want me to stay on as, since there were no other initiators in the Southeast at that time, I said, uh, I'll stay on as initiator as long as you need me. But that's, that's it. The, other other things that I'm doing, I'm not. Uh, I cannot continue to do the initiations. I believe in the uh, the order. I believe not in, and mm. uh, he had to take that back, which made me feel really good. <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, twice, when I was getting ready to publish the second book which are now under one cover. That's why. Yeah. Complete secret cipher. Um, I went up to visit Breeze back in the day when we were friendly. And he jumped down my throat. He said, you wrote this UFO book. We can't have you writing UFO books. The occult is respectable and UFOs are not. (laughs) (laughs) And I went, uh... No. And then um, I got him to drive me back to Atlanta because I wanted him to perform an initiation with somebody that had been neglected. And as we're passing at night to Lula Gorge, which I mentioned earlier, narrow road, he's playing a demo tape that he did with the late Psychic TV. May it rest in peace and telling me once again about how respectable the occult is and how disrespectable UFOs are. And he said the magic words, you've lost a Grand Lodge job because of this. And I said, well, there's a sequel. And he about pissed himself, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So I call it, you know, the, the... Illuminati censored the second book and took 10 years to get in print. Um, and by that, uh, <laughs> Illuminate had disappeared because several of its authors dis- uh, died under mysterious circumstances early, um, young, relatively young. And uh, ultimately, the publisher died under very mysterious circumstances, Ron Bonds. Mm. Seems to happen a lot. Yeah, well. He was having dinner at a local restaurant, which had a lot of people in it with his wife. And he developed what was, uh, I believe if you dig up his, uh, I almost said corpse. If you dig up his uh, death certificate, probably. I'm not reverent about these things. (laughs) Uh, You would probably find that it says food poisoning. I've talked to experts in that area. 
Nobody else in the restaurant got sick. His wife was eating the same thing as him. She didn't get sick. He was dead by morning. Mm-hmm. Dinner, got sick, went to the hospital and died within hours. That doesn't no. to me like food poisoning. And that sounds to me. It's, he was, it's poison. Yeah, it's poisoned. I just, you know, I, I thought about that uh, Russian expat in England that uh, was yeah. in the polonium, you know, but polonium is slower, I think, deliberately. This was arsenic or or cyanide or, you know, something. Yeah. Once it got into his system, he was gone. And with him, Illuminate Press ceased to be. And Illuminate was the only press that I know of that was publishing stuff on conspiracy theories and stuff on UFOs, reputable stuff. Uh, Jim Keith, who also died mysteriously, wrote on both subjects for them. I only wrote on UFOs, so they didn't, they didn't do me so far. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I definitely, I mean, I definitely see a connection to so much of that together. That can just the the occult and 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 that regards and and the UFO stuff. It's all just I see so many strands that connect them all together. It's it's crazy to think that that's a new idea, really. <laughs> yeah, it's well, these are personal to me because these are people that I knew. Mm-hmm. You know, it's different if you're reading about you know somebody. I mean, it does, it's not like it's something that. Uh, I was in D.C. when George Adamski died in D.C., but I didn't. I wasn't present at his talk. He collapsed at a talk and dropped yeah. in. And I would have probably clapped, you know, ding dong, the witch is dead. <laughs> <laughs> but probably the other people there would have uh, uh, pummeled me for that because they were true believers. You know, he's buried at Arlington. That's one of the... Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it's so, so weird. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Did he serve in the military? World War One, And back when, if you had served anywhere, you could still be planted in Arlington. It's much rarer now. But... Yeah. It's probably because we're running out of space. Yeah, that is the reason. Yeah. It was built deliberately facing the Robert E. Lee Custis mansion, the point being, you know, as as it filled up, that it would clutter up the, the view from the Lee Custis mansion, which was right across the border in Virginia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of those vicious little things that probably didn't come from Lincoln. That sounds more like Grant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um... I don't know that I have much more to ask or talk about. No, I, you've you've answered yeah. every single question I've had, and and I've just enjoyed thoroughly shooting the shit with you. Really, at the end of the day, <laughs> um, I thought we were exploring the nature of reality and all of the things that really make the human race great. But if you think that we were shooting the shit. <laughs> 
<laughs> anybody that can have fun talking about this stuff too and still take it seriously my kind of guy so i appreciate you so much alan yes so many people that don't i think that you know mm-hmm. i always do and some people don't react real well to it but i could tell you guys oh yeah <laughs> we're not we, laughing at me you were laughing with me oh, oh absolutely. Yeah, absolutely i mean we that's all, the whole point of our show we love having fun while taking a look at good things that you know that, that we're interested in and you can still make fun of the stuff you're interested right. in because <laughs> at the end of the day i find myself all the time questioning am i really insane or is this like <laughs> you know? oh you're not and none of us are not even the nuts and bolts people there the the stimulus is there the the notion that we have a pat answer for it is is where i part company with the uh Overly serious, you know. The occult is much more yeah. serious. <laughs> right. I don't. I don't know where he got that. He's too much acid in the sixties. I think. <laughs> <laughs> One a, a want to belong to something respectable, probably. Yes. So. Yes. He spent seven years in college, I believe, and uh, never graduated. So he really prizes people that have degrees so he said you have degrees don't you i said uh well yeah universal life church uh since five dollar coupons i I wanted to disabuse that guy and damn if that didn't show up on uh, some list or other so i said well i must have spent all that money at the university of arizona my father's money (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I could have just sent $5 to the Reverend Hensley, and who was illiterate, by the way. Anyway, <laughs> this has been fun. Yeah, this yeah. has been fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for just reaching out to us. I mean, that was, a, 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 like I said, it was great because I just finished the, the first book, right? And so I was like, this is perfect. <laughs> so. I haven't even seen The Complete Secret Cipher the euphonauts um is there an introduction or anything that's not in the two books I, 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 we we have them both back to back so <laughs> yeah so let me let me see here uh yeah i mean you've got your olaf phillips intro um but no it kind of jumps right in and there's no delineation between the two books though we know where it ended because we have the original copy so i don't um but i after reading, I definitely do feel they work very well together as one. I mean, it works very well. They were written to be one book, and I originally had thought to write a trilogy, but I think the subject is covered. And I don't think I ever answered that question about has the cipher changed? No, because for so long, people read the book. I mean, it, it, it's the original edition sold out, you know? Then the the press was no longer there, so that, you know, it it became a collector's item, and predictably on Amazon, you know, the price went, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) no royalties from retail, so it's, you know, I picked this this one up on eBay for not too much, so... Uh, and then oh, I, yeah, but but uh, five or ten years ago, that was selling for over a hundred dollars. Yeah, which my uh, my book on the rights of Memphis and Mitzrayan, 
Mm-hmm. It was out of print for about five years and then got back in print from another publisher. And uh, while it was out of print, it went to $350 on almost wow. sites. Yeah. used, you know, so... Yeah, it's crazy how that happens. This is going to sound really nerdy, but there's an old Ghostbusters novel that came out like, I don't know, like the mid 90s or something like that, but it didn't do anything. And so it had a very low press. Try to find that little paperback. Now it's like five hundred dollars. That's what I was. A Ghostbusters story. (laughs) I was looking earlier today for a copy of uh, Libra 31. And the only copies that I could find on anywhere, like eBay or Amazon or any of that stuff. Uh, yeah, going, that wasn't digital. That wasn't digital. It was going for over $500. So. Oh, mine, my version with the footnotes, because my notes are great, if I do say so myself. <laughs> no, it, it was, uh, well, I don't, I don't know. I didn't look in depth into the what the copy was, but I just saw the price was like, nope, not going to do that one. So <laughs> <laughs> I found a PDF, so. Yeah, well, I mean, if I, I did, the only authorized edition of Libra 31, authorized by Akkad's estate, was mine. And I right. really whiz of a job uh, doing the footnotes, if I do say so myself. That was <laughs> right, that's- my, my OTO period, and I you know, <laughs> went into the weeds real deep, so... We've all been there, okay? We all, we, <laughs> mia culpa, mia culpa, mia culpa. Do you know how long I was like, Gerald Gardner is a saint. Now I'm like, he was on a lot of drugs. <laughs> so I know what you was mean. was dying, uh, he supposedly said, according to Doreen Valente, I think it was, uh, that, um, I mean, I knew her, but obviously I didn't know Gardner. I was 12 when he died, mm-hmm. something and halfway around the world, you can't pin the, the Kennedy assassination on me because I was in Israel in a kibbutz. <laughs> Honestly, that's what I was doing. As I, I didn't even hear about Kennedy for three days. So. Anyway, um, we'll let it rest there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, Alan, this has been an absolute pleasure, man. Thank you so much. Uh, We'd love to stay in touch and stay friends and maybe have you back on someday um, because we are not stopping our search. I'll leave. That's the graceful thing to do. Thank you so (laughs) much for having me on. Thank you. Uh, You were fantastic, man. Just an absolute pleasure. Oh, anyway, so. I'll be looking for you in your dresses again, so don't worry about it. (laughs) I'll see you. Right. (laughs) Woo. Bye. Wow, man. (laughs) So much fun. Um, And I hate to like pull from the very beginning of the episode, but I love how it it starts where it ended, of course. That's beautiful editing on my part. But it's that (laughs) idea where he started to talk about why is it that when the ship crashed in Roswell was our immediate thought. Extraterrestrial. Extraterrestrials. And I never thought about that before. And if you think about it, yeah, why was it? Because especially there wasn't a whole lot of UFO sightings or anything like that. There was definitely some fiction. I mean, Um, is that... I'm I'm trying to remember if that's that's post-War of the Worlds, right? Oh, yeah. War of the Worlds was in the 1800s is when that came out. But I mean, the radio show. That was in the 30s. Okay. Um, So, yes, it's post that. I mean, way post that. So if you think if that stuff was going to happen... 
why not? But yeah, it's just I, I he he's really good about planting a little nugget in your head, yeah. you know, of doubt, like to make you go. Like, because we've grown up with it. We've always just known about Roswell, and it's always been alien centric. Because why would it have been anything right. else? But thinking about it from the the lens of the 1940s, coming out of World War II, why is it that the everyday average people were like ET, ET? You yeah. know, or same thing with if we look at the Battle of Los Angeles, right? It's like <laughs> these these different things that were all happening, you know, around that time. Well, and it, so it also makes me it's making me think now um whether or not at the time of roswell if it was actually said as et or alien or if it was said as something else and then later change kind of like well from from every from my research into roswell because i used to live out in new mexico and all that stuff is originally even the united states government was saying flying saucer and then they retracted their statement and then all of a sudden said that it was a weather balloon. So originally it came out and was reported as yes, a flying saucer. Um, and then, uh, and in fact, this was backed up by the Air Force. And then when the Air Force took all the stuff and moved it to Dayton, they yeah. retracted everything and called it a weather balloon. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'll tell you what, something I'm very excited for us to cover someday, something I'm coming across a lot, which is around this time, is when the UFOs were above the White House. Oh, yeah. Um, because, you know, that's what ufologists really want, you know, at the end of the day, especially sci-fi nuts. We're like, we need, you know, the UFOs to show up over Moscow or show up over the White House. But, but really, I mean... Why would you do that? That's where you're going to get attacked. You could go to Burkesville, Kentucky right? Instead. Exactly. But I do very much. I would love to, you know, cover that one day. The uh, the UFOs over the White House because it was something I'd never heard before. So I'm trying to think of where the first time I did hear that. Uh, it was, I mean, it was recently. I think it might have been watching that Deep Space program on Gaia. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, you know, a number of the books that I have and things yeah. like that, it shows up there. As it's well all as, starting to run together. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is indeed. Uh, but again, I just want to give a very heartfelt thank you to uh, Alan Greenfield. Um, if you have not purchased his book, get your ass on Amazon.com and purchase the complete secret cipher of the Euphonauts. Um, it's totally worth it. Um, it's a great uh, book. It's come out through uh, Paranoia Publishing. Is that correct? That's right. Um, also, check out Hellier, um, especially his episode. He's on there, so you can gig- dig a little deep into his connection to Day everything that happened deeper. with Hellier. And I hope you guys liked us making fun of balloons as much as uh, we did. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, get on there. Check all that stuff out. He does have one or two other books. Uh, and remember, you heard him say The History of Witchcraft is not his book, which, by the way, uh, I've been collecting PDFs. Books and that is in that that <laughs> That's in that it. big download I got is Ellen Greenfield's History of Witchcraft. It's in there, um, but yeah, make sure to check out um, all of his 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 web webly goodness, uh, thesecretcipher.com. Uh, check out um, all that stuff. Uh, but Alan, we love you. Thank you. We cannot wait to talk to you again uh, and all that. And uh, I guess uh, do you have a thank you to him as well? well I was just going to say. I mean, yeah. have you said happy birthday yet? No, I mean, I, I did. I didn't it's not get, his birthday, though. I didn't get my $12 check from my grandmother either. <laughs> um, no, I was just going to say, you know, Alan, you, you touched me. <laughs> he touched me. You touched me in a very... Show me on this alien where very- <laughs> Alan Greenfield hurt you. 
not to make light of people who you know but but anyways yeah um no alan it was a it was a great show thanks again for reaching out uh it really it really means a lot to us to a know that you listen to the show and b that you like the show well enough that you reached out uh to to tell us so that means a lot yeah and sharing your theories with us and answering the hell out of our questions because we grilled you yeah. <laughs> we grilled you yeah. big time. Everybody was like, get him to say he's Terry Wrist. Yeah. Um, but no, we weren't doing that. Um, kind of. Uh, but <laughs> anyways, again, thank you, Alan. Um, I want to, before we get out of here, I want, of course, move into our listener story um, because we love all sorts of stories. Obviously, we're into some shit. Okay. We're into some weird stuff. We love it. We love your listener stories. Um, this listener story this week comes from uh, California, a listener out in California. Her name is Sandra, and um, she has a really, really interesting story that's kind of creepy and weird, as they usually are. Uh, this story is being portrayed by a really good friend of mine. Her name is Kirsten Kellersberger. Um, she is an improviser and uh, actor. She also went to WKU like I did. Um, and she's portraying this for us. She is portraying Sandra. So let's take a listen to Sandra's story from California. My name is Sandra. I live in Bakersfield, California. When I was about five years old, I was at my sister's home in the valley visiting while my mom went on a business trip. One night I was sleeping in her guest bedroom and I felt something heavy weigh on my body. I awoke and could not move and all I saw was pure darkness, which should not have been the case as there was a street light that shined directly in the window. The fact that it should have been bright in there and was not rattled me. I tried to scream for my sister but couldn't make a sound. I felt hot breath on my face and it smelled like rotten eggs. I made a small squeal and saw two darkly bright red eyes open slowly. The eyes were the color of embers in a fire. I tried moving again and it laughed. I felt the vibrations of that laugh cover my entire body as it was low and deep. I heard the bed springs shake against it as well. I closed my eyes and started singing Jesus Loves Me. It was all I could think to do. I felt something sharp against my arm, scratching, and somehow I screamed. My sister came running in there in a panic. I was so scared. I told her what had happened, and she looked over the whole room. Closet, under the bed, down the hall, and out the window, nothing. I don't think she believed me until I looked down and saw a deep cut on my left arm where I felt the scratch. We went to the ER and got it stitched up, but she made me promise not to say a monster did it. I promised her I would not. When we got back in the next morning, she called a friend of hers that was a priest, and he blessed the home and took me with him to every room to do so. It never happened again, but then again, I slept with my sister in her room from then on out. You know what really uh, struck me about that story is the weight, feeling like the weight pressing down. Yeah. You know, I think we've talked about it before. If a lot of these times, if people are starting to astral project, because mm-hmm. that's, you know, I, I am on my astral projection journey, if you will. 
I'm at the point where like I feel that I feel my body get heavy. Right. I can't move. Like I feel myself come out of my body. But then after that, the explanation of like the red eyes and all that kind of stuff. I don't. I mean, it still could be a byproduct of astral projection or or abduction. Yeah. And you know, I'm really buying into it. It's scary because as someone who gets night hags a lot. Um, you like, even had one like that, right? Yeah. Oh, Where yeah. you woke up and it was over your entire body? Oh, oh yeah. I could feel it breathing. Yeah. Um, the hotness of the breath. That, that one that scared me the most is when my wife started to wake up and it just waved its hand over her face and she went back to sleep. Yeah. Like, that frightened me more than anything. Um, but the cut... That's that's the thing, you know, and, and and if it was astral, if you know, there's that sensation of falling. Yeah. We've talked about this before. Maybe she hit the side of the bed. If it's a bed spring, right. maybe there's a spring that was sticking out. Sure. Any of those things, which could also tie into the, the abduction as well. Why? Yeah. Why do why do we assume that it is our full corporeal body that gets abducted? Right. Why could not this technology simply take our essence with it, our astral body, yeah. and um, and is able to maybe give it solidity on the ship, right? Well, and, and it makes you wonder. So those who intentionally astral project are strong-willed, right? Mm-hmm. They have the will to astral project. Those who accidentally do it, may not and so they might be easier to abduct yeah maybe maybe um and also i was thinking about um and it could be different types too different types of abduction based yeah, on different species I don't could know. be i mean it, it's just again I, I just think it's it's really when i heard the the heaviness of the body that, that was the first thing i went to was astral projection right uh, what got me though was the deep laugh that was so deep it shook the bed springs yeah uh, I'm sorry you had to go through that. Yeah, that was that's um, that's a rough, <clears throat> and I can under, you know, we've talked a little bit about it before about the whole idea of uh, not um, confirming your uh, young people's what they tell you. You yeah. know, so <clears throat> on the one hand, you know, her sister said, or, or her mom says her sister sister okay sister, yeah. sister said, you know, hey, don't don't say a monster did it because. Honestly, from a as a parent perspective, if you go to an ER with some, with a kid who has a cut on their arm, and you say, and they say a monster did it, go oh, yeah, CPS getting, is yeah. getting called, <laughs> yeah, for sure, um, especially so, the stain. So from on the from on that hand, I understand, but it was also nice that she validated what happened because she brought a priest in. Yeah, yeah, that she uh, makes you wonder what she's experienced before in right, the home. Exactly, that she jumped at a priest real quick. Yeah. So, but anyways, we got to get out of here. That is a long episode. Um, but thank you guys so much for tuning in. Sandra, thank you so much for sending in that story. And Kirsten, thank you for taking the time to record that and portray that for us. Um, thank you guys. Uh, make sure to check out our uh, YouTube channel, of course. We've got some new episodes of Fearscape Unhinged, as well as Paranormal Tech, a, n- a new YouTube show that we have on there. All sorts of stuff. Go to fearscapepodcast.com for all things related to Fearscape. Uh, anything else before we get out of here? 
No, I not and I think I'll I'll bore you guys with you know, but I'll just mention you know the the stores out there, the patrons out there. We're we got a, a another bunch of great shirts that are out there. Some more coming. Uh, <clears throat> spider, uh, spider rainbow. We do have a spider rainbow <laughs> shirt, people. Yeah. We got a spider yeah. rainbow shirt. Um, so just you know, check us out. Every everything that you do to help us. Uh, only helps us, you know, bring you great content. So it absolutely does, and uh, you know, make sure you guys that you're checking out Social Scape and you're 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 just checking out all the stuff and all the stuff from Alan Greenfield. Again, I'm gonna push it. Check out Alan Greenfield's stuff. And, of course, make sure if you have your own listener story, you can either submit it on the webpage or you can send it to fearscapepodcast at gmail.com or any of those places or go to our webpage and find our uh, phone number. You can call or text and send it that way as well. We've even had some people send in pictures and videos of the things, the sightings that they've seen. Uh, So we do have that phone number available for you all. But that's it. That's where I'm at. I'm ready to rock and roll. Are you ready to rock and roll? Yep. No, you hang up. We're going to do that again? No. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. This has been Stefan. I will catch you on the flip side. This has been Josh. The truth is out there. And this has been Alan Greenfield. I'm Spider Rainbow. (laughs) That was portrayed by me, Stefan. All right, folks. Hold those blankets extra tight, okay? Because things tend to get spooky and enlightening when you're listening to Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Good night, everybody. Good night. I'm so glad you were able to join us for that horrifying discussion. I hope they didn't frighten you too much. (laughs) Tune in next week for even more research into the nightmarish and haunting creeps and spooks that we tell ourselves don't exist, but we know they do. Make sure you have your blankets that you hold them extra tight. Next time on Fearscape. <laughs>